0: Good morning. How is everybody doing this morning? Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, that's incredible. It is a good day, and um, as Pastor John had alluded to this morning uh, a couple of days ago, I got a call from Pastor, and anytime it starts with "bo," then yeah, you know, it's like, what, what's up? I got the "bo." I need some rest. Me and, uh, me and the family, we're going to take a little bit of time off, so I'll need you to cover Sunday. And I said, great. <laughs> Hung up, and uh, if you know my story, I said, awesome, who can I call? So I figured I'd call Pastor John, and in my mind, he was out of town. And so I said, well, that's not an option. I said, Pastor Kento. And uh, as you can see, there's a large hole in our church, and that's because all of our students are coming back from retreat this weekend, so he was not an option, and uh, so I said, well, who else can we call, and there's really no time to call anybody with no notice, so I said, all right, Lauren, apparently it must be me, and so uh, lucky God had been dealing with me uh, over these last several weeks, and so as I started preparing and praying, something quickly obviously came, and uh, I just uh, felt that I'm I'm just going to talk to you from my heart, on where I am and uh, what I feel that the church could value from, from where I am and where we as a body, there's a pulse you can typically feel. And uh, I felt that this was kind of in line just through prayer and different conversations I've had. So, um, you know, I do want to publicly thank uh, Pastor Kento and Bianca, what they have done with our students, all the effort, they work full-time work. They're such incredible leaders. That, uh, this church really is blessed with some amazing people, and so we're, we're grateful for Pastor Kento and his wife. And of course, for Pastor Hoffman and his wife, uh, thank you to First Church for rallying around them uh, just with the service with his daddy and watching his daddy graduate to heaven. Um, you know, they say you can prepare, right? You see it coming, but when it happens, it's, it's nothing like you thought would be Uh, And so I know they've had to process a lot. And so, Pastor, we love you. Sister Hoffman, we love you, and we're praying for you. And uh, this church will stay committed behind you. And so um, with that being said, I would like for us to stand as we just have a few scriptures to read. It's in Acts chapter 27, verses 37 through 44. It says, We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough... They lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay uh, with the beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosing the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground, The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land, and the rest on planks or pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Lord, I am asking this morning as I navigate through these circumstances and your word that you would cover us under your anointing, your covering, and that every ear that can hear will be open to listen. And those that are online can feel what will be in this room, right there in their living room, wherever it is that they're listening in, God. But Lord, we're asking that you would reach and meet us in such a special way that when we walk out of those doors today that we'll have a little bit more direction and some clarity in our walk with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It was July 15th at 10 p.m. I was studying in my living room. And uh, if you have kids, you'll know what that's like. And I decided to go up to the bedroom to do a little bit more studying. I felt God had given me something um, through uh, the dual nature of God and man, studying that. Wonderful study. I felt God showed me a little more clarity on his, how he really manifested his deity even through Adam and how he was formed and created. And then he breathed into him. And uh, you can't separate the flesh and the oxygen and his spirit in Adam and and even the words that Adam would use to communicate, and you go back to, uh, in the beginning was the word. Just great insight, and I was enjoying that study. But as I was sitting upstairs in my bedroom, and I was um, going over some notes and trying to dig in a little bit deeper, uh, the story that I just read to you came to mind. And as I sat there and I read the scripture, I said, Lord, how does, how does this even fit in to what I'm trying to convey to your people? How does this fit in? And like any preacher, you just try to make it work somehow. So you're pulling from angles, you're trying to figure it out. And and uh, I wasn't really grasping how it would fit in. And uh, actually this this week, I believe this week or next week, will mark one year since uh, I have experienced and have gone through COVID. And it's been a year, and I still have no sense of smell. Well, I do, but it's, it's still, uh, it's not correct and so I still struggle with scents and different smells and I remember sitting in in the bed with the laptop on top of me studying and I could smell something but I just assumed maybe it's my niece who had been with us for a couple of months maybe she's cooking something Uh, maybe it's the boys or Bridget doing something and so I I disregarded it and shortly after that the smell got a little bit stronger and then I heard as soon as I was ready to react like that's something's funny I heard smoke I remember coming off that bed and going down the stairs and I remember looking through the office and I could see those flames, that amber. I I seen that and I remember thinking, okay, I I can control this. And as I opened up our door wall, which wasn't very far from where the origin of the fire had taken place, I I ran outside, I turned on the spigot, came in with the hose. And by the time I did that, those flames were so big and the heat was so high, I knew it was over. I I knew it was beyond my control. So I remember throwing the hose on the ground, the floor, and I started to yell. I knew my wife and and Jordan were in the basement. Addison was, of course, with me. I, I knew Dominic was probably in his room upstairs, didn't know what was going on. It was all chaotic. It was all confusing. And I just remember, as I began to just panic and just scream, out of the house, out of the house, the overwhelming sense that you can feel and the failed attempt at trying to put this fire out. And so naturally we're trying to pull our pet out of the house. We had just lost our older one, so I couldn't bear for my boys to lose another pet. And so I would I would go to the front door and I'm screaming for Sky and still nothing there. And then I would I would run over to the garage door. I'd open that door and I would scream for her there, hoping she would come out and I just remember sitting there and, 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 and a, a memory of mine came to a message I, I taught on hell's greatest fear, which is the church, when it realizes the power the church really has, how hell really is afraid of us. And, and I remember studying what, it, what happens to you chemically when you start to inhale the sulfur and, and the chemicals that are burning and the heat. And I would come to the front door as I was getting ready to scream our little dog's name. And, and, and I would try to inhale so I could scream, but that heat was so high, I couldn't get any closer. And, and I was just doing the best I can. And so naturally, with time, I found out that she was probably never going to come out. I made it to the lawn where Bridget and the boys were, seeing the desperation in their eyes as everything they've worked so hard for and enjoyed was going before them. And I just remember Bridget coming up to me in a paramedic and said, you really need to get checked out. I was covered in soot from being at the doorways, and, and I didn't want to leave the family, and so I fought it and fought it. And finally they said, you, you really need to go because of, you know, it, it could go really south for you really quick. And so I remember leaving my family behind in an ambulance I made my way to Beaumont where Zach Deese met me at the door. And little did I know our our dog sitter, she had worked at Troy Beaumont. I didn't know that. Uh, Later found out through social media. She had reached out to my wife. I came in as a John Doe. I didn't have any information. And she said, I didn't know that was your husband. We actually thought he was an African-American male. I was completely black, covered. And I was sitting in there. As they started to treat me and they moved me into ICU just to keep me overnight to make sure that I was safe, my airways remained open. And it was in that moment that the story I just read to you hit me in that ICU. That I now was in the storm of my life like Paul was. It was in the moment that I realized God was preparing me right before the event for the event. Don't ever discredit when God starts to speak to you and reveal things to you. You might not understand it in the moment, but I'm here to tell you that there is a reason that God speaks into your life and will place things on you. And you need to guard that. You need to guard that. And here I begin to process what was going on and this story with Paul in this storm that he was in. And here you have to understand that ships are not built Alone. These ships take several scale tradesmen to build. You need plumbers, electricians, machinists, grinders. Um, You need people that can work on the ballasts, the riggers. It takes many, many people to build a ship. You cannot build a ship on your own. It takes a lot of people. And a ship never travels alone. If you look at a shipping container, those ships, they employ anywhere from 20 to 30 employees at a time whenever they're traveling. If you look at the an air force carrier an aircraft carrier it employs roughly 5,500 on board and if you look at the average cruise ship it employs nearly 223 employees the point is the ship was never meant to be alone it was never meant to be built alone it was never meant to be traveled alone and of course the design of the ship is to transport cargo from a to b and as paul is sitting on this ship You have to wonder. He is feeling safe. He is, of course, on this boat with with a ton of uh, convicts, and he's on his way to Rome. He's trying to meet and and clear his name. And so, as they're going on this ship, as they're traveling, um, the storm comes, and they thought they could make it, but instead they they run into a reef, The, the boat's aground. And the bow is stuck, and yet the back of the ship is broken up. It's broken up. And here, Paul is telling them, listen, guys, you need to, if you can swim, jump from the ship and swim to safety. If you cannot, then you need to grab onto these broken pieces of the ship and use that to swim. Use that to swim. And so you could imagine, Paul, in the middle of a storm, it would have been bad enough if he was just experiencing the storm, if he was just experiencing the storm, but to run aground and to watch everything that was holding you safely to your destination get ripped from you, it took it to a whole nother level. And as I sat in the ICU room, my mind kept clicking off the different images that I had just witnessed. And actually, there were a lot of conversations that were brought up in my mind as I'm laying there, dead silence, just the beep of the machine feeding me oxygen. And remembering different stories, different needs, even here at First Church. And I've seen the relevance of this storm. I've seen the relevance of the storm. And I started to think, what do you do when the very thing that's been carrying you for so long is broken? What do you do when the very thing that you have been traveling on, that you have relied on for years, it's built. It was built by many. It traveled with so many. And yet for the first time, you think, this is bad. This is bad. It is all falling apart. And here for Paul to say, listen, if you can swim, swim. If you can't grab on to the ship, how difficult is it for the survivor that is sitting on those planks of the ship while others are swimming past him? How difficult is it when you have to tread lightly? And you're frustrated because everybody else seems to be passing you up. Everyone else seems to be cruising through their problems. But yet you are in the battle of your life. You're in the storm of a lifetime while yet everybody else is swimming right past you. Several months ago, I taught a lesson on the ambidextrous God. I pulled it from Psalms 111th chapter, verse 7. The works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. Hands, plural. The hands of God, they're plural. See, verity in Hebrew means truth, and judgment means to move into place with harmony, with truth. In other words, it works hand in hand with truth. And I can tell you, we can go over scripture after scripture on the right hand of God. Ephesians 1 verses 20 and 21 says, which we wrought in Christ When he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. His right hand is known for his power. His right hand is known for his authority and dominion. It is well known in scripture what the right hand of God really is defined as. But when you get to Job, the story of Job, What a tragedy is as Job is going through the fight of his life. Boils, loses his children, loses everything he has. And the friends that remain are questioning his own integrity. What did you do? What happened? What did you, what sin is in your life? And his own wife is looking at him and tells him to curse God and die. The people that are left in his corner, the people that are uh, distracting him and discouraging him from even seeking counsel and finding rest. And in verse... 9 of chapter 23 behold I go forward but he is not there and backward but I cannot perceive him on the left hand where he doth work but I cannot behold him he hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him I don't have the time to go in depth between the right hand and the left hand of God but I can tell you through the scriptures which I read the right hand are the absolutes of God and the left hand is where he does the work. It's how the right hand is revealed. You can't have a deliverance if you do not have a need. You cannot have a healing if there is no sickness. No peace without anxiety. Joy without depression. It's all too often in the storm that God reveals his right hand with what he is doing on his left hand. How he is working in your life will ultimately reveal who he is in your life. And we have a choice to make. We can be bitter, you can be frustrated. Like so many men on that ship with Paul, as they began to swim and the rest were holding on for dear life to the broken pieces of all they had left. And you can become so frustrated that God, how is it that they can get to safety first with the global economy that we're facing, the political scene, with everything that is going around us and everyone else has tragedy in their life. I am no foreign to the idea that I'm the only one that is going through something everyone in this room has something that they're facing that is just as real to you as my issues are real to me but you can get into a place where you get so frustrated in your life with the issues that you're dealing with now you can become so jealous you can become upset you can become bitter with those that seem to be swimming right by you and all you have left is this broken piece Of wood that you're holding on and trying to make it to shore. It's all there, but we oftentimes look at where we are and forget to focus on where we really are in the grand scheme of things. We need to learn how to stop focusing on what we have lost and start focusing on what is left. All too often, all we can see is what was, what could have been, and God is saying, but look at what's in your hands. There are some things I have still given you in your hand. Stop looking behind you and look at what's in front of you and move forward. But all too often, the enemy wants you to look back and think those were the best of times. That is when it was the best. That's when I made the most money. That's when my kids were the safest. That's when me and my wife were the the healthiest. And he keeps looking at it. But we always look through it with the eyes of the current situation. And God is trying to teach us, stop focusing on what's lost and focus on what's left. Hold on to what is left. Psalms 126 verses 5 and 6 says, they that sow in tears... Shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and reapeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. We preach about that all the time. If you will just sow in tears, you'll reap in joy. But there's a key to that verse that we often overlook. He that goeth forth and reapeth. All too often we are so focused on our tears. It matters where you reap. Your tears. It matters where you are shedding your tears. Are your tears real? Are my tears real? Absolutely. But if all we do is sit in the same place and we begin to cry over the same things, there is no joy in that. All you begin to do is sow your tears. If all you do is sow your tears over despair, then all you will do is reap disparity. If all you do is sow your tears in frustration, then all you will reap is frustration. If all you can do is sow your tears over the memories of once was, then all you will have is disappointment at what's in front of you. It's very important to see how you are sowing your tears. But this is why I love scripture when it says, but he that goeth forth and reapeth. If you are tired of sowing and reaping disparity, frustration, depression, anxiety, then I'm asking you this morning to move forward. If all you are doing is sowing your tears over what is happening and you have settled in to your current circumstance, then I'm asking you, can you move forward with where you are? Can you use those tears to sow into the kingdom? You have to move forward. You have to move forward. You have to move forward forward Once you move forward you'll start to bear precious seed again. You'll start to rejoice again, but you have to sow your tears somewhere And as I begin to look at the tears that I've sown I can tell you I can wallow in my tears all day I can sit here and tell you I am wearing the same suit. I've had for one week This is what I have I can sow my tears that I don't even have a forwarding address yet I could sow my tears that I don't have hardly any more childhood memories left. But I can come to these altars and sow my tears over somebody else. I can come to this place on a Monday night prayer and begin to sow my tears into someone else's life, into someone else's issues. I can use these tears to worship. But it's a decision that I must make. Will I sit where I am and sow my tears in disparity? Or will I begin to sow my tears into someone else's life. But this is how, this is how the kingdom can use your prayer, how it becomes a weapon. The enemy, the enemy will take what was meant for bad. We sing about all the time, but he'll turn it for good. And I can come in this house and I can, I can pray to spare all day. I can say, God, why did this happen to me? I don't understand it. What grave sin is in my life? Lord, how could everything I've, I have in my house go up in flames when I am virtually in this house almost every day counseling and praying and studying? How could this happen to me? What did I do wrong? But I'll tell you what, instead I've learned is when I take those tears that are very hurtful and they're they're very real in the situation that I am in. But two days later after fire, I made my mind I was going to be in service and I was going to worship because I wasn't going to allow the enemy to dictate my future. I wasn't going to allow something to hold back the worship and to hold back being kingdom minded. So I began to pray. I came in the house and I worshiped with everybody else because he deserves the glory regardless of my current circumstances. He deserves the glory. And what the enemy meant to defeat me will now become a weapon that he didn't see coming. I now could come into this house And my prayer don't have to be, Lord, how did this happen to me? How am I going to recover? How am I going to bring this back? I can go to somebody else and say, God, I don't know why you brought me through this. But, Lord, I'm asking that what I'm going through, that you relieve them of this, God. That the grace and the mercy that you showed me that night. God, I'm asking you take that grace and you give it to them. I begin to pray for somebody else. And now what the enemy meant to destroy me is now impacting the kingdom and bringing somebody closer to him. My prayer became a weapon and all of hell is regretting setting my house on fire because now I can come in and pray for somebody else and pray through their grief with them and be on their side and help them fight through it. I have a choice that I can make. It's your weapon. Let your lead your prayers over someone else through the experience of what God has brought you through when you're on this ship you're never alone the storm can't take you alone you have to stay with the ship remember in mark jesus enters the boat he's with his disciples all knowing gets on a boat knows he knows there's a storm coming do you think jesus was ready to commit suicide no that's ludicrous right that's crazy he wouldn't get on the boat knowing he was going to die but he got on that boat because he knew when he was with his men He was going to make it out of that storm. And so you're in the storm of your life. Now's not the time to abandon the ship. Now's not the time for us to walk away and let down our guard and say, Lord, I can't. This is too much for me. I I, I just can't see my tomorrow, and what that looks like. Stay with the ship. It might be broken pieces of it, but I promise you all around, there are other broken pieces with you. You're not the only one in the battle. I'm not the only one in the storm. There's some others in the storm. So you know what I'd say? Hey, I'll come bail water for you. You come bail water for me. How about I pray for you and you come pray for me? How about I check in on you and you keep checking in on me? We are the body of Christ we are better together we are one tree but many branches of it and so God is trying to tell us listen it might be fragments of the ship but we're still together we're still swimming together we're still pulling together but when all you see are the reminders of what was the most difficult part of the process for me was the first four to five days I'd walk into that house all I see is soot I'm walking through the house. I'm stepping over my memories. I'm stepping over 21 years of just a wonderful marriage of pictures that have disintegrated from the walls to the floor. And I'm literally having to step in my memories, literally stepping in what is the storm of a lifetime for me. And I'm looking at it. And I remember seeing everything just charred and black. You've seen those pictures. And I remember talking to the contractor and I said, it's over. You're going to bulldoze this down. He said, not sure, Mr. Neto. Just give us a couple of days to clean up. But day after day, I would go to the house to see if there was any progress. And day after day, I'm reminded of my past. Day to day, I'm revisiting something that I haven't cleaned up yet. We talk about faith without works is dead. If you're in a storm and it seems like everything else has been shattered and broken and maybe your dreams have been burnt up, you're going to have to do some work. You can't just pray it all out. God will meet you where you are, but we're going to have to do some work together. Someone's going to have to pick up the shovel and start hauling some debris out of there and start to say, hey, what's going on here? But every day I would walk through there and I would look at the memories, the smells that trigger things. Now remember, even now, in the middle of the night, I'll wake up. I wake up and I can see. I see my curtains burning. I wake up, I see the eyes on my niece, who was there for vacation. I can see the asperity on my wife's face and my boys. I, I see. I, the smells are triggered. The smells are triggered. I was in pastor's house for, for a meeting. I went to use their restroom. They had a candle lit. I blew the candle out. I've never cared about candles. I couldn't stand seeing a candle in the bath. I blew the candle out. Crazy. And I would remember, I I can't tell you when the last time I slept over six straight hours, seven straight hours. I can't tell you because I'll wake up in the middle of the night and there'll be those, those trigger moments where I remember things and I can't sleep. Then God brought me back to Romans 12 to do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. There are two parts that really affect the thought patterns of your minds. The amygdala is the part that stores your emotions. When you get scared or something happens to you, and you feel that anxiety, which in itself can be healthy, it can shift you and make you shy away from something dangerous. But it captures that emotion and it stores it in the short-term part of your memory bank, and then it captures that that emotion that's tied to that picture. And after a while. It leaves the amygdala and it goes to the hippocampus part of your brain where now it starts to translate short-term memory into long-term memory. And that's where it becomes scary because instead of feeling anxiety because something's dangerous or feeling afraid because something's not safe you begin to operate and make decisions out of those emotions now instead of saying hey you know what uh, I'm, I'm afraid when i get to a street someone's gonna hit me with the car now i just don't even want to leave the house because i don't want the danger of even getting close to a street so nothing happens to me you start living your life through the emotion because your brain will send you these triggers and i started thinking about that scripture and every time Every time I, I wake up in the middle of the night and I have a thought, I'm quoting Philippians 4 8, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, are just, are pure, are lovely, good report, virtue, and praise. Think on these things. I shift my mind. From What is holding me captive and I begin to think of the good things of God I begin to think of the things he's brought me and my wife and my boys out of I begin to think of different miracles We've had in our past. I begin to put some music on I walk out of that bedroom door And I begin to pace that room and I begin to pray because I will not allow the enemy to use my current certain Circumstance to dictate how I will operate. I will not allow it You have to Transform your minds And when you're in a battle, you all, every one of us have trigger points, memories associated with pain. Things that the enemy will continue to bring up to you. He wants you to see the darkened walls. He wants you to see the charred flooring, the buckled floors from all the water. He wants you to see that to hold you captive. But I'm here to tell you, if you would start to take your mind and start planting it on higher things, if you start to focus on the things of God and healthy thoughts and and the right music and the right messages and the right words, surrounding yourself with the right people, you can walk out of it untouched just like they did. In the furnace with those three guys. Something starts to shift when you see what's behind the surface. The enemy will try to tell you it's over and you're washed up. But when you start peeling back the layers, you quickly see what is important. It's still standing. You can walk into a room and it looks like it's done. It's trash, There's nothing left. I can look at the room and remember where the floor joists were soft. You can walk into any part of your life and you can see where the hurt is. Whether it's church hurt, whether it's your personal hurt, something in your family, you can see it all. And the enemy wants you to declare and stay in the soot. He wants you to stay there and just focus on what is broken, what is burnt up, what is gone. But I have something to tell you. If you start doing a little bit of work and start peeling some things back, if your marriage is in trouble and you start, listen, we focus so much on the surface, that drywall look terrible, but as soon as you start peeling back that drywall, that lumber looks really good. Those floors are still solid. The roof is still standing. So if you're fighting in your marriage and you think there's no way, start peeling some of that debris back. If your children are lost, start peeling the debris back. If you are fighting an addiction, start peeling the debris back. Because I promise you, what God has in store for you is solid. It's still standing. We still have a firm foundation that stands. Stop looking at what everybody else is doing and focus where you are. If they're swimming past you, that's fine. Let them keep swimming. But you keep praying, you keep reading your Word, you keep coming to church, you stay connected in the body, find yourself in growth track, get in a life group, plug into this place. In the darkest of nights, it'll be the brightest of lights. Jesus, I can look at that timber and I can say, you know what, I'm still standing. I may have lost what's on the surface. But look at what's most important. I still have foundation around me. I still have the walls are still standing. We can rebuild this thing. It's not all that bad. It's all on your perspective. So if you're in a war this morning, if you feel like you're at sea, and all you have are these broken pieces of the boat, that ship has sailed and it's just all in dysfunction. You're sitting there. With the ship, it's there to bring you from A to B. And you can feel safe on that ship. You feel safe on it. But when it starts to break apart, we value the broken pieces left in the whole piece itself. We start to devalue the little pieces that kept it all together. And as you begin to look and say, God, how could this happen to me? And I'm holding on, not a beautiful piece of shiplap, it's broken, there's splinters, it hurts. But why would I abandon the ship now It's holding me afloat? If the ship represented peace to you, it's not all over. There's still peace in your hands. If you, had, if you had protection on that ship, it might look broken to you, but there's still protection in your hands when you're holding on to the ship. Keep holding on and keep fighting through the night. It's not time to stop, but it's time to hold on. It's time to press forward. It's time to keep swimming. It's time to move towards shore. Now is not the time for us to Relax. But it is time for us to move forward in the pain that we are in. Every victor is a victim about something in their life. Some of it you can't control. Some of it you can. But every victim is a victor. First Peter chapter one, verses three through seven. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for including a future in heaven, and the future starts now. God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. The day is coming. The day is coming where you will have it all. Life healed and whole. I know how great this makes you feel, even though you have put up with a lot of kind of aggravations in the meantime. Pure gold put in the fire comes out proven pure. Genuine faith through this suffering Comes out proven genuine. When Jesus wraps this up, it's your faith that not your goal that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. There is coming a day we're gonna stand around that throne together, and it's gonna be your faith that's on display. It's not gonna be the stuff you lost, it won't be the aggravations you had to deal with, it won't be the sorrow, it won't be the hurt, it won't be the frustration, it will be the faith that you possess, that you display, that will be in heaven in front of you. I want us to stand. You're in this room. You're no different than me. Different circumstances. Different issues, situations. But yet, we all still face something. We have a decision we can make. If I sow my tears... Where am I sowing my tears? Have we spent so much time sowing our tears over what was lost? Sowing our tears over what could have been? Sowing our tears because the movement isn't fast enough for us? Or are we sowing our tears into someone else's life? Are you sowing your tears in a prayer meeting, worshiping him? See, we often say, just pray. You got to praise him through it. We're going we're gonna to worship and praise him through it. I believe you can't learn how to praise unless you learn how to worship. If you don't know who he is, then you don't know how he'll do it. If you can't declare him as a the healer, then he can't heal you. If you've never seen how sovereign and powerful he is, then you can't pray to him and believe that he's going to pull you through it. But when we learn to worship together and we begin to put our attention on him, when the, when the power comes, when, when the problems come and, and the issues that we're dealing with happen, then I promise you, when you begin to praise him, it's because you already know he can do it. The faith is high in the room. It's evident in your life. It's a culture in your family. And so if you're in this room and it looks terrible you can't see your tomorrow it's not making sense to you my challenge is can you go forward my challenge is can you come to a monday night prayer and start praying with somebody else can you lift up your head and take another step and say god i'm in the middle of my own storm but so is somebody else and so how can my prayer aid somebody else's mess How can I get in the seat with somebody else and learn how to pray for them? I believe that God has given me in this season and this time that I'm fighting with this for a reason because ultimately he gets the glory out of my story. He's gonna get the glory out of my story. You're not gonna catch me missing a Monday night prayer meeting. You're not gonna catch me missing a life group or a Sunday morning service. I'm in it here because I believe that when you start praying and you start sowing your tears while you're moving forward, If you could come to the front, maybe you're here and you're saying, that's all fine, I get it, but you don't know how bad my marriage has been. You have no idea the strain of my children in my life. You have no idea the financial disruption that's happened in my household. You have no idea how high my anxiety really gets. You have no idea how low my depression really gets. You're right, I don't. I don't know what it is for you but I know what you can do you can look at that black and drywall and you can start pulling some things down you can look at the house that you have built or the house that you have lived in and you can start pulling some things down and then you can say this is workable this is salvageable he's gonna help me through this he's gonna help me get out of this this is okay but it's gonna take some work and so are you in this room are you able to work Are you ready to actually put some effort to this and grab a shovel and start digging some new wells? Are you ready to start digging in and saying, God, I'm cleaning this up because I believe, Lord, that you have a plan for my life, that there is a reason that I am going through this. We want the big ark of the covenant, but we build such small altars. We want to see signs and wonders, but we really don't want to pay the price for them. We want to experience the amazing presence and manifestation of his power, But we can hide behind the stained glass prayers that we have done over the years. But in order for us to see the miracle, there has to be a need. And in order for you to behave properly through the need, it's going to take some tears that are shed. But it's going to tell it's going to take how long will you sit and wallow? I have every right to be frustrated. I have every right to fight depression. I don't sleep well. It's been the tough last several weeks and it's going to be a long road ahead of me. But I'll tell you what I'm not doing. I don't get up in the middle of the night frightful anymore. I get up when those images hit my head. I start singing. I start worshiping. I'll start walking. I'll start reading. I'll start doing something because I refuse for the enemy to distract and to destroy me because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And if the enemy can think he can come in and set my house on fire and disrupt my whole life, he's got something coming because I got some new prayers for the kingdom. I got some new prayers for somebody. I've got some things to pull me out of. And so I want us to start singing here. And if you're in the fight of your life, if you are fighting something, you are in the middle of a battle, a storm, then I want you to look at those walls that seem to be in destructive mode. And I want you to start saying, all right, God, today is the day I'm pulling the drywall out. Today is the day I'm ripping the electrical out. Today is the day I'm sweeping up the floors. Today is the day I'm reaching heaven with my words. And I'm going to start praying for other people. I'm going to commit to this thing and change my mindset. Yes, amen. Because if I don't do that then I will be the victim without victory. But if I can be the victim of whatever it is in your life and God can start to move through you and you start to pray for other people, you start to come here every Monday night and you're praying. You're praying in your household. You're reading your word. You will no longer become a victim, but you'll be the victor. Those prayers, the enemy will regret the day he messed with your wife. He messed with your husband. He messed with your kids. He messed with your finances. All across this room, I want us to start praying. And if you're in a battle this morning, I want you to start talking and say, God, I need you to reveal something to me. What am I supposed to be cleaning up this morning? What do I need to haul out of here? What is it that needs to get out of this house, God? Because I refuse to be the victim here. I am going to learn how to turn my prayer it's an effective weapon in the kingdom to shift and change somebody else's life.
1: I'm not going back. I'm here to declare to you my past is over in you All things are made new. Surrendered my life to Christ. I'm moving, I'm not going back. I'm moving I'm we